many of you know that my wife and I are expecting. And if you don't, my wife and I are expecting. Thank you. And one of the uh, interesting things about pregnancy, um, aside from the fact that I don't get to experience any of these things personally, um, has been pregnancy cravings. Pregnancy cravings. So um, one, of, one of the first things that came up earlier in the pregnancy, uh, it, was, it was at nighttime, and she said, Stephanie said, you know what sounds really good? Ice cream sandwiches. Okay. You know, maybe we'll pick up some tomorrow or the next day. Yeah, right? <laughs> no, no. Ice cream sandwich sounds good right now. <laughs> Okay, uh, you know, I'll go uh, see about getting some ice cream sandwiches. And so I went, uh, I went to uh, Fred Meyer, I think, the, the closest to us where we live, and I'm looking for ice cream sandwiches. I'm not trying to spend a whole bunch on ice cream sandwiches, but Stephanie wants ice cream sandwiches, and so I'm going to get them for her. I, I look for the six-pack, and, and I can't find it. And then I say, okay, well, let me I look for the 12-pack, and it's not there. I'm just like, oh, my goodness. I just need an ice cream sandwich. And finally, I see the 24-pack of ice cream sandwiches sitting there, like, all the way back in the freezer, like, they haven't even touched it yet. I'm like, ah, 24 ice cream sandwiches. You know what? Maybe that's good. Because <laughs> she was really wanting ice cream sandwiches. So I said, fine, I'll get the 24-pack. Brought it home. She had an ice cream. It was delicious. Want to guess what the, what was the scorecard in terms of how many ice cream sandwiches she ate versus me? <laughs> I think she had two or three of the whole package, and I had the other twenty-one or twenty-two. <laughs> and it was just funny because what I've discovered is that despite how strong she craves something in the moment, the 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 amount of time that something, one particular craving would satisfy her was very short-lived. She would get this craving for something, and, and it would be good for a short period of time, and then, you know, oh, do you want another ice cream sandwich? No, I've I moved beyond that. I need a Whopper now. And, and pregnancy cravings, in, in some ways, is, is very descriptive of, of the things in life that we think satisfy, satisfy us, satisfy us for a short period of time. They have a shelf life. They don't satisfy us forever. And and that's really the the point of this book. Uh, One of the main themes that Jesus is trying to get across, that John is trying to get across to us, is that the things in life that we want so badly, that we crave so badly, have a short shelf life in terms of their ability to bring lasting satisfaction question that Jesus is asking us is, what are we feeding ourselves? Will it actually bring about life? Another way to put it is, what is the diet for your life? What is the diet for your life? What's the right menu of things that if you could, with perfect discipline, partake of, bring you life, or at least you believe it will bring you life? What is the diet for your life? 
And in many ways, the Gospel of John is a book about diet. We see things mentioned like water, bread, wine, fruit, lamb, figs, fish, mentioned throughout the Gospel of John. The title of the sermon this morning is Discovering God's Death-Defying Diet. Discovering God's Death-Defying Diet. And to give you a clue, it's not about ice cream sandwiches. But it is about water and bread. And it's not water and bread as we might think, and we're going to look at that as we get into it. But before we can discover God's death-defying diet for ourselves, that word discover means we have to see. We have to be able to know, to see, to understand what does it look like. And so the first thing we're going to hit in the first part of the message is this idea of light. And in pursuing life, we need to see and understand what it is, so we need light on what it is. And then the second part will be, what is the diet? So the first part, before we can pursue life, we need to see it, and that requires light. John chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Before we can even take one step towards life, we need to be able to see it. And if we can't see light, then any steps we take, we take in ignorance. We might as well be in darkness. Why is it funny to see kids try to hit a pinata? It's because kids are typically blindfolded and then they're spun around. Right, And then they take a bat or something, they try to hit the pinata, they can't see it. It's funny because they miss wildly, right? And you know they want what's in the pinata so bad, it's candy. So it's not for lack of effort. They're trying very hard to pursue what they want. And yet, because they're blind, they can't see it. Now, it's funny and not tragic for a couple of reasons. It's funny and not tragic because the stakes are low. If I miss, okay, I don't get candy. Okay, big deal, at least for right now. Secondly, eventually, after so many kids miss, you put little Billy right next to the pinata, and you coach him so he can try to hit the pinata because you don't want the game to last hours. You want the kids to have the candy. But what if... What if our lives depended on hitting the target? It wouldn't be as funny, right? If, if little Billy, every time he missed the pinata, got whacked up the side of the head, right, that wouldn't be funny anymore because there's actually serious consequences. Life is a little bit like that. If we can't see life, if we're blindfolded in life and spun around, and we're trying to hit the target for what life is, our lives depending, uh, depend on us hitting that target. We're in the dark. The question is, what will bring light? 
what will help us to see what life really is. And Jesus, John is writing, he's describing the situation that we're really in. He says that, that God, that Jesus, that's who he's talking about, verse 4, in him was life and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness. So, so John is saying that Jesus comes into a world that's dark. That's the world he comes into. We're not in a world that's light apart from Jesus. We are in a world that's already dark. We're already blinded. We've already been spun around, and we're swinging and missing wildly. And he's saying Jesus has come to bring the light that will overcome our darkness. Our problem is darkness. Now, what is darkness? What is it? How would you explain what darkness is? Now, let's go to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. Jesus says, people loved darkness because um, they love their deeds. They don't want their deeds to be exposed. It's, it's a picture that we probably have all either experienced or seen. When we're doing something that we know we don't want other people to see, we do it in the dark. We want it to be hidden. Most violent crimes are committed in the dark. Why? Because they want it to be hidden. And so there's this idea that that darkness is this idea of of hiding the things we love that we know we shouldn't love. We're too ashamed to let other people know that, no, this is really what I love, but I'm going to keep it under wraps. I'm going to keep it in the dark. And so that's the sense in which we love darkness because we love our sins. That's what Jesus is saying. Darkness is that which protects our own ability to live lives how we want to live apart from God. And so we have within ourselves competing desires, competing motivations. On the one hand, most people will say, I want to be a good person. I want to live a good life. And therefore, you would think the logical conclusion of that is I'm going to do things, I'm going to behave in such a way that it will be uh, some, I will be someone who was a good person and I will live a good life, and yet we don't. We don't do what we say we want to do. We contradict ourselves. We're a living contradiction. Take diet, for example. Most people in here could tell me What makes a good diet? Tell me, speak to me. What makes a good diet? Water. Hamburger. What's that? High protein. Moderation. Veggies first. Control. Moderation. Right? We don't lack the knowledge. Fruit. Carbs. Okay. That's that's good. All right. We can stop. You have just told me what makes a good diet. 
We don't lack the knowledge in this room. And yet, how many of us struggle to follow a good diet every day? (laughs) Right? That's what I'm talking about. This competing desires, competing motivations. We know what's right, and yet we don't do what's right all the time. Stole something from later. No, no, I'm kidding. Uh, we have these competing desires that are in us, and it, it's this darkness, this this love for what we want. Right? I want donuts. I want lard and fat. Baked goods, baked in lard with lard. Flakiness, right? Um, anyhow, that's, that's beside the point. <laughs> so these contrary and harmful desires that create, uh, they create a type of darkness in us that needs to be overcome by light that we don't have. Our problem is we love darkness, so we can't be the ones to solve it. We can't be the ones to shed light on our own darkness. We need light from outside of us to show us this is really life. This is really healthy for you. But because we're blinded to what life is, Jesus says that we actually prefer darkness. We love our sins. And so as humans, we we end up loving what will ultimately destroy us. We end up falling in love with what will destroy us. The other day, I was talking to the person who deep cleans our floors. He polishes our floors. He's been doing it for for many years. And last year, uh, I was talking with him, and I was just asking him how he was doing. He said, I'm not doing that well. My my son, who, who, who had come and helped do the floors in, in years past, he hadn't seen him in months. I asked him, how come you haven't seen your son in months? And he says, drugs have gotten a hold of him. And, and he, you could just tell his, that was something that was very painful for him. And so I, I asked to pray. He's not a, not a believer, not a churchgoer, but I asked to pray with him. I prayed with him. And so a year goes by, just, just a few days ago, I asked him, How's your son doing? He said, not so well. He's still, he's still on drugs. And, and you could see it in his, in his eyes how gut-wrenching that was. That he, he knew that, he said, he said his son, he has a good heart. But he's addicted to what is killing him. He loves what is destroying him. And I could see it in his If he could... If he could do anything to to get his son to see that what he was doing was destroying him, he would. And it's it's not just drugs that destroy us. All sin destroys us. We all relate in some way to some sin that we love, whether it's pride, whether it's jealousy, whether it's lust, whether it's hatred for one another, drunkenness, whatever it is. Whatever our sin is, that is destroying us. And God is like that father who looks down at his children and says, don't you know that what you love is destroying you? And God loves us so much that he says, I am going to bring light into your darkness by sending my son to to light up your life so that you can see 
that what you love is destroying you. And that's what God wants us to see, that the things we love that are destroying us are not nourishment for us. It's junk food. And God has come to shed light, to give us better nourishing food for our lives. You know, sin... Oh, going too far. John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. This is what Jesus has come to do. If we follow Jesus, we have light so that we will never walk in the darkness. This brings me to the second half of the message. Having the light of Jesus, we can then truly discover God's death-defying diet. And it's a simple diet that consists of water and bread, but not as we think of it. And it's the only thing we need for everlasting life. God's death-defying diet consists of water and bread. Let me read from uh, John chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. Everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. John chapter 6, verse 35. I'm the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry And no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. So, the point that Jesus is making, earthly water and bread only satisfy temporarily. Earthly water and bread only satisfy temporarily. You see that in verse 13 of chapter chapter 4. Everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. And we've had that experience. We get thirsty, we drink water, but it doesn't last. We need to drink again. We get hungry, we eat food, we need to eat again. Jesus is saying that is a parable for life. That everything you do in life has a short shelf life. You need something more. Now, it's important to note that Jesus is not saying... That water and bread don't bring any satisfaction at all. He's not saying that. And I think sometimes preachers do a great disservice to people when they claim that all earthly desires are bad and they don't satisfy. For example, you may have heard of the preacher who tries to scare away uh, young people from having premarital sex. And the preacher says, it's nasty, it's terrible, it's awkward, like it's not all what it's cracked up to be, um, so save it for marriage. And it's, it's, it's an awkward thing to say, right? I mean, because the, the reality is you can meet people, right, who will say, actually, you know what, premarital sex, that was kind of fun. You know what? Uh, doing something illegal and not getting caught, that was kind of thrilling, actually. Um, the, the, the point is, there is, there is a pleasure there to sin. 
And that's actually scriptural. If you look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse uh, 25, 24 and 25. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God, God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. It assumes that there's some pleasure in sin. Sin wouldn't be tempting if it wasn't desirable. Sin is kind of like uh, uh, liquid ant bait. How many of you uh, love sugar ants? <laughs> sugar ants. Who loves sugar ants? I hate them. Ross likes them. How many of you know that the way to keep sugar ants away is not to use like Raid or, or any of those harsh chemicals? Mike knows that. I started off, when we had sugar ants in the building, we started off spraying them, right? And what happens is they come back. A better method is to use bait. The idea of bait, and not just bait for ants, but any bait, is it's something that represents itself as like real food, right? And in the case of sugar ant bait, you have this liquid stuff that tastes sweet, and so what happens is it attracts the ants, and the ants eat the liquid sugar bait, thinking it's food. It doesn't kill them right away. They actually think it's yummy, and they take it, and they go back to their queen, and the queen eats. She thinks it's yummy, but three days later, four days later, five days later, they start to die. Why? Because it's not food. It's poison. But it tastes sweet. And sin is kind of like that. Right? If sin was raid, right? If sin was harsh chemicals and foul tasting, like, and, and bitter from the get, like, no one would ever sin. Right? No one would ever sin. Because it'd be like, oh, that's bitter. Oh, that's nasty. But the point of sin, the reason why it's tempting is it seems sweet. It seems good for a time. And that's the point that is being made here. The, the word in, in Hebrew that the Hebrew author used was fleeting. The, sin, the pleasures of sin is fleeting. It is short-lived. And so Jesus is saying in the midst of all these short-lived pleasures, whether sinful or not, I have something better. I have something longer-lasting. I have something that is nourishing, not just for your body, but nourishing for your soul. And that's where Jesus says to us, I have better water. I have living water. And the Jesus' water and bread that he offers us satisfies us eternally. Jesus describes this water, this living water, as springing up in ourselves to eternal life. And, and really what's at stake here, what, what really is Jesus' point is saying that everything short of him does not bring us eternal life. The, the nourishment, the food, the bread that Jesus is bringing brings everlasting eternal life. In other words, the big enemy, the gigantic elephant in the room of every L.A. fitness is death. Super supplements, Jamba Juice, Whole Foods, 
death is there too. No matter where we go, no matter how healthy we try to be, no matter how perfect we try to live our lives, the elephant in the room of every room is always death. It's coming for us. And Jesus is saying, that's your problem. The food that you eat, the water that you drink, the self-help books that you read will not help you to overcome death. But Jesus has brought us his water and his bread. And he says, this will help you to overcome death. Jesus illustrates this point by calling out something that happened to Israel when they, were, uh, when they left Egypt and they were going towards their promised land. But in the middle of it, they were stuck in the wilderness. And in the middle of the wilderness, they didn't have food. And so God said, I'm going to give you food. And so he rained heavenly manna from heaven for their food. Okay, And so they ate this every day, six days a week. God provided this food on the sixth day. He provided double so that they would have food for the next day. And, and Jesus references that history, that story, in John chapter 6, verse 49. He says, your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. Which is a remarkable statement. Because where is this manna coming from? Heaven. It's, it's, it's perfect, right? It's, it's like the best bread ever. It has all the nutrition that people could live on for years in the wilderness, right? It was baked in heaven fresh every day, rained down fresh in the morning for people. Like, there was no better diet that they could have had than food directly from God's hands. And yet, he says, your fathers ate the manna and they died. In other words, bread alone was not sufficient for them. They needed something deeper. They needed something richer. Jesus came to present us with a death-defying diet that consists of water and bread, but not like what we have in the world, but straight from himself. This begs the question, how exactly do we drink and eat of the bread and the water of Jesus? How do we do that? And let's look at John chapter 7. John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. <coughs> On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scriptures have said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. Having said this about the Spirit, or he said this about the Spirit, those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit, for the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. But the connection I want you to see there, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. How? How do you drink? Verse 38, the one who believes in me as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. The key is belief. Drinking and eating is believing. 
drinking and eating from Jesus is about believing in Jesus. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? Does it mean to believe that he exists? Does it mean to believe that he's a good person? I think it's deeper than that. And Jesus explains more deeply what that means in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verses 47 through 51. What does it mean to believe? Truly, I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give you or that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The bread that we have from Jesus is his flesh. Now, what does he mean? This is really important because they misunderstood him. If you read the context, they thought he was saying he was going to cut off some of his flesh and like say, here, eat it. And they were like, that's disgusting. But the disgust actually is important because it is disgusting in terms of what he's actually talking about. He's saying he's going to give his life for us. His flesh is going to be, his body is going to be sacrificed for us. That's what he's talking about. That his bread, the food that we have, is his sacrifice. And so eating is believing in the sacrifice of Jesus. That he came to die for our sins. That he came to, to shed his blood so that the thing that we struggle with, those competing desires, the, the darkness that we love, the sin that we love, that's what Jesus came to die for. He says, that's our problem, is, is they love darkness, but I'm going to die for that darkness. I'm going to use my body, who, who Jesus has lived perfectly. He's lived life perfectly for us, that we can have his righteousness if we believe in the work that he's done. That's what it means to eat Jesus. That's what it means to consume. It's to believe in the sacrifice that he has made on our behalf. Eating and drinking is believing that Jesus is the Lamb of God who has taken away the sins of the world. And so in a world plagued by darkness and conflicting desires, we want life, but we don't always know what true life is. And Jesus has come to be the light that illuminates our understanding of what real life is. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when, sometimes it's just easier to watch Netflix all day. Sometimes it's easier to just not care. Sometimes it's easier to just binge on donuts. Sometimes it's easier to just forget about or self-medicate ourselves from problems that we have. And Jesus is saying, we don't have to stay in that. That there is something more. That life doesn't have to be boring. Life doesn't have to be, consist of just fulfilling our own selfish desires. That there is another way. There is a way to health. 
And that's what Jesus is trying to show us, that there is real food for us here and now, not just in the future, but starting today that you can partake of that will overcome the darkness. And I think sometimes we, we don't, we, we try to find like these novel ideas, like what's the next novel idea that's going to help me break through this rut and jesus is saying like it's the basics it's like reading his word like how many of us say we believe in jesus but don't actually read his word the bible says that faith belief comes by hearing and hearing by the word of god if we're not in the word of god it's no surprise if our spiritual lives are dry If we're not speaking to Jesus, if we're not hearing from Jesus, don't be surprised if you're feeling down in the dumps, if you're just living in Netflix or living on donuts. Jesus, in his grace, has given us his words. By his grace, we can hear from him like now. There's no waiting. There's no darkness. Light is here now. So pray, a practical application of seeking the light of Jesus is simply reading your word. And I've been there before. I've been in the place where I was preaching and not in his word. So I'm, I'm, I say this to you not as someone who's you know, holier than thou, but as someone who's felt that same pain, that same struggle, that same uh, conundrum of conflicting desires. And, it, and yet I also say this knowing that I, I, whenever I've struggled to read God's word, I've, and, and I finally do, I'm like, okay, fine, I'm going to read his word. Like, I've never said afterwards that I've regretted it. Never. Now, honestly, I haven't always said, oh, I just had this wonderful spiritual encounter every time I read. That's not true. But I've never said I regretted it. I've always come away from going, you know what, that was good. But I have regretted binge-watching Netflix. I have regretted Binge eating junk food. But you won't regret binging on God's word. Second application. Pray. Like talk to him. God loves us. Jesus loves us. Like the the point in praying is not to have your life together before you go to him. Jesus understands that we're in darkness. And Jesus says, I've come to bring light and life to you. So the time when we should pray is precisely the time when we think we're in darkness. When we're confused about something. Even if you're confused about God. Like, why, why am I going through this thing in life? Why am I struggling with this thing? Like, that's the time we should talk to God. That's the time where we should seek him. Lord, would you shed light on my situation? Lord, I believe you've come and you've come and if you intended to do me good, Lord, would you please help me to see? Would you be present with me in this affliction? Would you be present with me in this darkness? And we can do that. Jesus wants us to do that. That's it. Pray and read as applications, read his word, pray as applications of consuming Jesus, understanding what his life and sacrifice means for us. And and at this point, I'll lead us into communion. I just want to explain what communion is. It really is a reflection of eating